Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Clear Thinking, brought to you by Better Broadhead. Our town, their future. Please welcome your host, Aaron Menzel. Today I'm interviewing Jeff Ditzenberger, who has a very impactful story. Um, Jeff, thank you for being willing to sit with me and share your story with us today. Well, thanks for asking me. You're welcome. So first, let's talk about your history. Um, I found that you were in the military. Why did you choose to join the military? Um, mostly because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, it made me third generation. My grandfather was in and my dad was in. And I really had no desire to go to college. Um, I was The only reason I went to school was basically to get out of chores and to socialize. <laughs> uh, so, which apparently I could have done that at college too. But, um, and I wanted to get, you know, I wanted to get a skill and I wanted to travel a little bit too while I was still young and, and uh, get paid to do it. So that was my, that was my main reason. And, and I don't have any regrets of, of doing that. Uh, I'm proud to say that I'm a veteran. And, uh, but at the, the same time, it, it caused some of my problems. Problems. So what um, part of being in the military caused your problems later? Was it the substance use issues or was it not dealing with mental health issues? Well, it was both. And I, I guess I want to just, for me... Um, the only substance abuse I had was alcohol. Right. You know, luckily, I never got into any of the hardcore drugs. I mean, I've never smoked mar- even smoked marijuana my entire right. 48 years that I've I've been on Earth. But um, and not that I'm <laughs> saying that that's a bad thing. But luckily, that was wasn't something I had to fight. And I know my friends that deal with drug addiction. You know, it's a tough road to go. So I, I'm, I'm blessed that way at least. Um, but there was some stuff that happened um, during the Gulf, and I didn't see near the stuff that you know a lot of our vets did that were you know pounding the pounding the sand and that kind of stuff but there was some stuff that happened um and i think being away from home i mean i went from a town of 400 to you know boot camp which was all kinds of people and then i went to philadelphia which was way more kinds of people and then i got into california which was just like an entirely different country altogether um so I think there was, you know, some shell shock there and stuff like that. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, in the military, you know, granted the drinking age was 21, but, you know, they kind of looked away at what your, you know, what your age was. I mean, you're in the military, they, they, the, the, the bars and stuff that we went to and whatnot were not right. overly concerned about carding if they saw that you had any indication that you were military. Even if you showed your military ID and showed that you were under 21, they didn't really care. Right. Um, so alcohol was accessible. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, to be honest, I didn't drink much growing up. You know, occasionally after a long day of mom and hay, you know, all of us would get and all of us would get a, a beer or something like that. But, you know, it wasn't like I was invited to all the parties or anything like that. So I really hadn't been exposed to it. Um, ahead of time, you know, being in such a small community, there was a lot of things I wasn't exposed to, and now I'm free white and 18, uh, you know, out and about, and, you know, uh, not under mom and dad's rules anymore and stuff, so it became really accessible, and I, unfortunately, as I started to get into it more, then it became a real easy way to, that was my coping mechanism, and I hate to say that, but that's exactly what it was. Yeah, so when you left the military, did you immediately get into farming? Yeah, and I've been in farming basically my entire life. I mean, okay. my 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 whole family uh, dairy farmed, um, and then when I came back, I got into an ag-related business, plus I helped a, 
local farmer. So, I mean, those roots have always been there. The stress of that has always been there. The company that I was working for when I first got out of the military started to go bankrupt. And so then I lost that job. And so then I had the farming full time. And then I found another, you know, factory type position. And uh, there was some stuff that happened there that I'm not at liberty to discuss, but there was some stuff there that contributed to uh, uh, the events that led up to my suicide attempt then. Okay. So... You said it was during the middle 90s when you had your suicide Early attack. 90s. Early. 92, I believe. Okay, so leading up to that, you were extremely depressed and you were heavy into alcohol. And what kind of, what was the trigger for you into that alcohol or the into the suicide attempt? Well, a couple of things, actually. Um, there was things in my marriage that were, were not good. Um, there were things in my personal life, work life. I mean, there was so many, and I mean, we could spend a whole hour just discussing those. Right. Um, but uh, the the thing that probably was the worst was that I was actually reaching out to people, like I was asking people for help, and it was, oh, let's you know, let's go get another drink or whatever. And it, the alcohol got so bad, Aaron, to the point that I was putting whiskey in my coffee before I went to work in the morning to get through the day. And then we'd go to lunch and I'd, you know, at first it started out, you know, I'd go to lunch and have water and then I went to lunch and had soda. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, throw a couple shots of Jack in that and and then bring my thermos in and be like, can you fill this, you know, put a little more, you know, so it was, I mean, it was, and then I'd go home at night and it was nothing to polish off a six pack of something or a 12 pack of something or a bottle of something. And, you know, and I, every interview that I've given, this is the one thing that I always talk about is that when I would talk to my guy friends about my feelings, you know, it's like, oh, suck it up, buttercup, suck it up, buttercup. And, right. you know, and in the events leading up to my actual suicide attempt, you know, that's another misconception out there that I, I think needs to be addressed. And it's not something that you just do overnight. No. Like I spent weeks preparing right. for this. Um, my actual means of my suicide attempt is kind of ironic and, and was really not going to be the easiest way to do it. But you know, you get in that mindset where just nothing matters because you don't want to be a burden anymore and you're sick and tired of feeling like there's nobody there for you, right. including yourself. You know, you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and you you hate everything you see about you. You can't find anything good because all you hear around you is that, oh, there's there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just, you know, you're just overplaying this or you just, you know, you're just being dramatic or you're looking for attention. Well, yeah, I was looking for attention. I was yeah. looking for something to, somebody to tell me that, you know, I needed to stop drinking or I needed to slow it down and and or somebody even just to listen to me complain for 10 minutes right. just so that I didn't feel like that entire you know weight of all my problems that was in the backpack on my back was just weighing me down more and more and more yeah that had to be pretty painful too. <laughs> it was miserable yeah. I mean you know people say you know how, how bad is it and and this is one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about mental health awareness and, and suicide awareness is that it's like take the worst thing that's ever happened to you like losing a pet or losing a grandparent or losing a parent or or losing your best friend or whatever the case may be to either you know something that happened that you know you're no longer friends with them or death or whatever and then compound it a million times and then add one to it right and you might touch how bad a person feels when they get to this point yeah they just want to end the pain mm -hmm. yeah mm-hmm so in your interview with Channel 3 back in 2018, you said that you don't really remember the suicide attempts. I think that it is. I think, I think our body is, is smart and miraculous enough that I think there's a coping mechanism with inside of us that, you know, and like with post-traumatic stress, you know, a lot of right. post-traumatic stress survivors, which I'm also one of those, um, 
there's that that part that just kind of blocks that out because you don't and like bits and pieces would come back to me and 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 you know it's funny you should mention that and we we kind of alluded to it earlier when we were talking before we we actually started recording is you know when I did the HBO video they wanted to go out to the site where my suicide attempt was and I hadn't been there since that night did you remember anything when you were there? I tell you what, Aaron, the anxiety that went through me for that entire day. Like, when they told me they wanted to do that, I was like, yeah, no problem. I'm, right, right. I'm here to cooperate. <laughs> <laughs> and the more I thought about it, I was just like, I can't. I Like, there were times during the day when I think about it and I get short of breath. Ooh. And then when we went down there, I took my motorcycle. Because my motorcycle is one of my sanctuaries. Like, nothing... I don't think about anything, well, obviously, you know, the, the driving laws and stuff, but, but I mean, I don't, you know, like when I'm in my truck or my or a vehicle, normally, you know, you might listen to the radio and you might get that little bit of a, when I'm on the bike, I, I'm free, like, like a happy place. Like it's, it, it is. It's, yeah. It is. It's my, it's my extreme happy place because I can get on that thing by myself and there's no walls around me. There's the wind rushing through my hair. I mean, I, luckily I have a windshield. Otherwise, I'd have bugs in my teeth because I <laughs> smile so much when I'm on it. But anyways, so I'm taking my motorcycle down there because it was gorgeous that day. And uh, I intentionally took a wrong turn. And I looked down, and I was doing 65, and then I was doing 75, and then I was doing 85. Mm -hmm. And all I wanted to do was escape. All I wanted to do was lose the film crew and just escape. I'm like, they're not going to catch me in their mom minivan. <laughs> you know, no offense to the moms, but anyways. <laughs> um, but the, 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 the farther and quicker I went, all of a sudden it just it hit me. And it's like, you're kind of a selfish bastard right now. Because here I want to help people. I don't want people to feel as bad as I did. I don't want people to get into that mode that I was in. I don't want people to be abusive to their stepchild. I don't want uh, uh, people to, to lie to their spouses and their family and stuff. And here I'm trying, here I am, the guy that's telling people, you know, we can face it, this together. I'm running like a freaking chicken with my, with my chains don't have tails. What's the, <laughs> Whatever between, you know, with my tail chicken feathers. tail feathers between my legs, you know, <laughs> no offense to the chickens out there, but it, it's just, and I stopped and I'm like, no, get it together. Right. And for the first time in my life, I said, you know what? Suck it up, buttercup. It's time. And so anyways, I turned around and then I got the film crew to turn around. I'm like, ah, I turned the wrong direction. They're like, yeah. And can you slow down just a little bit? And I was like. This is my freedom, you know. I just I wasn't paying. Oh, I wasn't paying, you know. Just like I tell the Green County Sheriff's Department personnel that have pulled me over in the past, I wasn't paying attention to the speedometer, you know, uh, which doesn't get you out of a ticket, by the way. So, anyways, we went back there, and we had a little time to set up. So it was, and it was weird too, Aaron, because there's no house there anymore. The house is gone right. that I that I that I that I burned down in my suicide attempt. You know, there's weeds everywhere and stuff. And the first words out of my mouth when we started interviewing and we're on camera, and they actually used it, which surprised me. And I don't even think I don't even think I knew we were recording, but myself and the producer are walking up, and I'm like, "This is so surreal. Like, this is a place where I could have been remembered for dying by suicide." Right, and you're walking back. And I'm there. walking back, and like that was the epiphany. Right, and I'm like, "Okay." Dummy, here's your closure. Because I fight this all the time still. I mean, I'm very embarrassed to have a felony on my record. There were a lot of rumors out there, you know, of what really happened. Oh, and, and then there's all, I mean, there, there's some legends now from it, you know. And, and it's just, you know, 
and you're not going to change people's opinions on that or what they think they've heard. I mean, well, you can some, but you know, I that stuff gets back to me still yeah. now. And there's there's even times, you know. 15 years later where I'd apply for a job or got a job and somebody would send an anonymous letter that, did you know that your employee is, you know, got a felony and, and, you know, has arson on their record, you know, nothing else on there about what the circumstances. And luckily enough for me is that people, and I'm forward about it. I mean, every job interview I've ever had, I'm like, this is a deal, right. blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's never cost me a position. Um, I think that's one of the things that it also helped me do is it also helped me realize that, you know what, it's okay to make mistakes. And there are people out there that care enough that they'll give you a second chance. I mean, when I was in jail, you know, I didn't have a job or anything. And, and um, I had Rose Farm Service out of Darlington, Wisconsin, took a chance on me, and which launched my sales career after that. And I ended up doing sales and marketing for 20-plus years. Right. And um, so, I mean... And I'm a rose-colored glasses type person, uh, glass half full uh, to this point. I mean, I still have my days. I mean, right. I still have my days, and everybody does. But it's just, you know, for me, there, there's that silver lining. Mm -hmm. Like, if I wouldn't have done it, would I be where I'm at type thing? So, Right, and from everyone's experiences, if you use it in the right way, I think that you can be like that catalyst for change, yep. especially when you're genuine and your story is impactful. You right. Know? Um, when I always compare it to Spider-Man getting bit by the spider. I mean, he could have <laughs> been an evil spider, you know, but he was a daddy long legs type spider, you know, right. where he eats yes. bugs and he just, you know, hangs out in your house or whatever. But, but no, yeah. I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a lot to that. And I remember the day I went to jail, my grandfather, who was the biggest influence of my life ever, uh, said to me, he goes, well, Sonny, he says, you can either use this as a learning experience and you can come out a better person, or you can keep blaming everybody else except for the person at fault, and then you can be a non-productive member of society. But if you want to be that non-productive non -productive member of society, I'm not sure our relationship will be the same. And that hurt. I like, I would have rather been hit by a freaking two-by-four repeatedly than to hear my grandfather and the disappointment in his voice with me because I could do no wrong in that man's eyes, vice versa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was the only grandchild for 10 years, so, I mean, I had that, that little, you know, right. part and stuff like yeah, that. that and, you know... Tough love isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. You know, I look at nowadays where, you know, where we kind of coddle a little bit too much and stuff like that. I That's my personal belief. But, you know, I think sometimes you, you, you need to hear some of those hard words and, yeah. you know, because you can still get help, Aaron, for things that you do. But at the end of the day, it's still your choice. I mean, I chose to try to, to, try to die by suicide. Mm -hmm. I chose to light that house on fire. I chose to commit a crime. Regardless of what the circumstances were behind it, they were still choices that I made. Right. However, when I got out, you know, I tried to make the choice to do better. I mean, I was right. bitter for a while, but I tried to make the choice to do better. And, and I fall once in a while and stuff. But again, everything in your life... Except for maybe when you die, when the Lord is willing to do it, is, is a choice. I mean, you you have full control of that, right. uh, no matter what the no matter what the situation is, and I truly believe that. So, there's kind of a gap in time between the attempt and then now your kind of push for farmers and the agriculture community to kind of rally around mental health, destigmatizing mm -hmm. mental health issues. So. What was the catalyst for you becoming more involved in this? Well, a few years back, um, 2015, I think it was, 
14 or 15. I always get the years mixed up on this part of it. But, and I've always been an advocate for, you know, mental health awareness and stuff like that. I've never been on the platform like what I am now, but I did a few speeches here and there. And right. I always use my experience. And I did a speech for Farm Bureau um, up at the FFA Farm Forum, which is all high school juniors. And they weren't actually going to let me do that speech at first. And I said, well, then if you're not going to let me do the speech, I'm not your guest speaker this year. And it was very, very well received. Like, it took me two hours to get out of the auditorium oh, wow. afterwards with all these kids that were coming up. And, and then there's still some of those that I run into afterwards and even up to this day that are like you have no idea the impact that that had on me and then as more knowledge got out about what really happened and and stuff like that you know more people kind of came to me to, to just talk about life in general but in 15 um i got asked to speak in madison at what was called guys night out and it basically it was put on by dane county safe communities and it was a night for guys to get together and just shoot the breeze and talk about their feelings. The funny thing that I love about this is that to this date, any speech I do, anywhere or any warehouse, any workshop that I do, I always love it when there's a mix of men and women mm -hmm. because I'll be like, hey guys, I want you to repeat a word after me. Feelings. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, feelings. They like, don't want to and then the women, it's like, gals, now you say it. And they're like, feelings. You know, the whole room echoes right. and reverberates, and you need to wait 10 minutes for it to come back down. And I'll be like, see, here's the cultural difference for one. Yes. Guys, it's not. It's not a bad word. It's a good F word. I mean, you know, so then I'll be like, say it again, you know, and it gets a little louder and gets a little louder. Well, when I went up to do this speech, and that's what we're going to kind of talk about is feelings. Right. Um, I got. 10 or 15 minutes away, and I pulled all my paper, and I don't like to write speeches. I usually like to shoot it from my from my hip. But I had this written down, and I ripped it up, and I threw it, and we had stopped to, to grab a snack on the way up, and I threw it in the trash bag, and my uncle, who was with me, says, wasn't that your speech? And I'm like, yep. And he's like, what are you going to talk about? Not a clue. Not a clue. I just, I'm not feeling it though. I'm just right. not feeling it. So when I got up there, I did my introduction. I started talking about the military and stuff, and all of a sudden it hit me and I started talking about how, and the, the ship that I was on is the second largest ship in the Navy. The only thing bigger than us was an aircraft carrier. And we had, we were like a floating 7-Eleven slash armor, uh, armament. We had all the ammunition, oil, and a lot of the food for the seventh, for the seventh fleet. Okay. So floating time bomb, but we could have a huge marshmallow weenie roast as we're burning up if we got attacked but anyways so i was talking about how when we came back into port we couldn't do it on our own we had to have a tugboat oh. and push us into port yeah. or if you go down a narrow passageway you'd have to have a narrow waterway you'd have to have a tugboat come and i said and the thing about this tugboat was is that you called him and he answered and he came along and he might hear his little toot toot off to the side and see his little bit of smoke but you couldn't other than that you couldn't see him but you knew he was there and you were comfortable and you were just like I don't have to do nothing. I just need to sit back here. And then they would push you very gently. You know, this little bitty boat would just push you gently into port and you'd get tied up and you were safe at home or they'd get you down these treacherous waters and stuff. And I said, you know what? This is like life. Like everybody needs a little tugboat. I love so that. that you can, so then on the way home there, and everybody was just like, you know, it was, it was cool. And there was women there. I'm not exactly sure why the women were at the guy's night out, but they were there. But anyways, <laughs> like so many people came up and talked to me afterwards. Yeah. And on the way home then, my best friend, Scott Golaxon was with me. He went up that night with me too. And then my uncle and my, one of my uncle's friends. And I said to Scott, I said, I want to start a nonprofit. He's like, you mean like other than farming? Yeah. <laughs> 
And I said, yeah. I says, I want to start a nonprofit, and I want it to be about mental health for men. I says, not that we have to be exclusive, but I want it to be more focused around that. And, and he goes, well, what are you thinking? And I says, I don't know, but, I, but I'm excited about this. I want something. Then I was like, and I want it to, inv- I want it to involve my speech somehow tonight. And so making the trip back from Madison and stuff, we we're, were talking and about that. I think it was probably about 1.30 in the morning. I sent him a message or an email at that time. I don't even think we had messaging. And I go, dude, I want to start a nonprofit. I'm going to call it Tugs, based on a tugboat. And it's going to stand for talking, understanding, growing, and supporting. Because even big ships need a little ship sometime. Oh, that's awesome. Like, it's going to chill. <laughs> so, so, uh, so he was, you know, he answered me like at 10 the next day. He's like, why are you messaging me at, or emailing me at 1.30 in the morning? Um, but anyways, and it wasn't quite that long. But he mess- he emailed me back and he said, I think it's a great idea. And I says, you know, it would be, he goes, what's your, what's your format or what's your platform or what are you thinking with this? I said, well... It would be like it would be almost like an Alcoholics Anonymous or a Narcotics Anonymous where people can come in and they don't even have to say their name. They can sit in the back corner and we'll we'll have people tell their story up front that are willing to tell their story and maybe we'll have an expert here and there and so on and so forth. But Joe is sitting in the back listening to Bob tell his story and it hits him. And he goes up to Bob afterwards and he says, you know what, your story isn't identical to mine, but it is so close. Like, I thought I was listening to you tell me about me. And they exchange phone numbers, they exchange emails, they be, yeah, and then now you have your tug. Exactly. And, and, and Scott's mine. Scott's my main tug. I have some other, some other ones too, but Scott is my main one. And what that tug does is that that tug says to you, do you need me to listen? Do you need me to answer? Do you need me to rough you up? What do you need me to do? I mean, right. there, we kind of we have a, a, a little bit of a, how we handle things. And sometimes your tug gives you some tough love. You know, it's like, okay, I'm, 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 I need to go a little bit farther, but I don't want to be too close to that port. And the tug's just like, ah, we'll get you to move. Boom. Ah. And, and, and it works because one of the things that I really struggled with before my suicide attempt is that, I didn't really want to burden my family with my problems because I already felt like a burden anyways. And this is a person that knows you but is still neutral, like is willing to tell you exactly what you need to hear that's going to change, not what you right. need to hear that's going to make you just feel better. Right, you know? exactly. And, and, and people will be like, well, there's 800 numbers out there and there's other stuff. And I'm like, people that are at this point – are not going to call a complete stranger. They're not going to dial an 800 number. They're not going to look through their phone for that. Scott's like speed dial number three, I think, on my phone before my kid. My mom's number one. I don't even know who number two is, but I know Scott's like three or four. But it's an important and All I have to do is push one button, and, and, and there it is. And not that, the, not that the 800 numbers are bad, but like people that I talk to that I've either had the, the opportunity to help save from trying to die by suicide or that I've been super, super down or whatever, you know, their, their mindset is, is that that 800 number is going to send the guys with the white coats or the police department or something and everybody's going to know about it. And that's not what they do. But at the same time, they also want to talk to somebody that they, they trust, but not that person that's going to, you know, like sometimes within family dynamics, yeah, you know, really you, yep, you, it's an emotional yes, investment. Yes. Yep. 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 So. so that's what Tugs was. That's what Tugs was originally designed for. That's really amazing. I love that idea so much in that analogy of the tugboat. Mm-hmm. It's so great. So 
Do you have like an outreach to the farming community through talks, or is this mostly for people who are in crisis? <laughs> well, <laughs> so it takes a long time to get a 501c3. Yeah. So what we've done is we've switched gears and we're going to actually operate on. We've we've had small private meetings and stuff. A lot of people know about it. Um, and then, of course, you know, you get on HBO Vice News and the entire world knows about right, it. Yeah. But um, until we get so, then, but then the attorney that helps me out is like, don't have a lot of meetings because you're not really covered by any kind of insurance or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we've got our, we've got our articles in corporation and all that kind of stuff. So, but there is another, there's another avenue which we're looking at, but we have some other things that we still have to finish. But we've been basically operating for a couple years. It's been our own, you know, those of us that are involved, you know, it's been our own money. We haven't been able to do any fundraising because we're not in that nonprofit right. status yet for people. Um, our ultimate goal is to get to that point where we are having, you know, weekly meetings, monthly meetings, whatever. But then also with our board of directors, um, you know, being able to have people call us. And right now, I mean, I do have quite a few people that call me. Some of them are repeat callers. I just are like, dude, give me your thought of the day right. type thing. I just need something to, to, to boost my spirits. Um, but until we get the 501c3, we really can't do anything on a larger scale. And that should be, I'm expecting, like, any time now. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I'm one of those people that, you know, I'm either going to do this right or I'm not going to do it. And I want every I, to- every I dotted, every T crossed, um, just to make sure that there's no that there's no issues. And then my other goal from this is to hopefully be able to start implementing the same kind of a program in every county. Right. Every other county would make me happy, but to, to get that, you know, and then you can call it what they want. I'm not right, saying they got to right. call it the same thing, but you know, the but the same model, yeah. because that's one of the struggles that our farmer, farmers and men generally, and I know there's a lot of female farmers too, um, but, you know, that's one of the struggles is that they don't have an outreach. And there's a pride element to it huge, as well. Huge, huge. So to reach out to a stranger, I grew up on a farm, so I know, um, to reach out to a stranger for help is mm-hmm. like... It's a real blow to your mm-hmm. pride. Like, mm-hmm. you can't handle your mm-hmm. own problems by yourself. And so. I'm glad you said that because I'm going to tell everybody who's listening that there's more pride in getting help than there is in not. Right. I mean, and I know that's tough, and I know people are probably listening going, there's no way I'm going to do it. But you, you, you for your own, and it's not, and, and this is going to raise some eyebrows, and this, I want well known that this is my personal opinion. I think death by suicide is selfish. I really do. And I know there's people that don't agree with me on that, and I respect their opinion. But here's my thing is that if you die by suicide, your problems are done. What about your kids? What about your wife? What about your husband? What about your grandma and grandpa? What about your friends? Right. You know, and, and my son, Parker, when there was a young man that, that uh, died by suicide years ago, um, had put on Twitter, why is everybody worried about him now? He's gone. Why do people get involved with someone's life after they're not here as opposed to when they are? And that hit me like a that ton of bricks. A good point. You know, for a 15-year-old yeah. kid to say that, first of all, I was like, dude, when would you get a t- Twitter account? <laughs> <laughs> well, my second thing was, is like, I said to him, I said, Parker, that is profound. That is one of the, is that is one of the hugest statements that I have ever heard, but it's so true. Yes. And we need to support people, we need to support people now, yeah. you know, and, and that's again, kind of going back to that stigma. You know, I had a friend here 
a few years ago that we were talking and he's like, yeah, so-and-so and I broke up. And I'm like, oh yeah. And he's like, yeah, dude, she's so bipolar. And I'm like, if you ever use that word again to describe someone who maybe isn't, right. be the last conversation we ever have. I have bipolar. I actually have bipolar too, which is worse than regular bipolar. But I hate that we just use a term like that to describe somebody who does, or might not even have not even right, right, right. Who maybe just like struggling with something else. Oh, you're crazy. Right. I am, and I'm okay with that. I have momentary lapses of sanity, but at the same time, why is that used against people? Right. You know, and and I always use the analogy. You know, way back when, Aaron, they used to call places they put people like this, an insane asylum. Right. Asylum is generally a po- positive word. It is. But the things they did to people back then that's were not terrible. positive at all. Yeah. You know, but that's what I want tugs to be is I want tugs to be that uh, to be an asylum. I want that to be a safe place. You're see I know so many things about so many people and I love it because one it's that trust thing mm-hmm. and here's a guy who has a felony on his record who did nine months in jail, who did five years of probation, who wasn't necessarily the nicest person around now has the trust of people with some of their deepest, darkest secrets. That's quite a transformation in your life. And it is. And, and, you know, it's empowering. Right. And I always tell people, you know, when I I do presentations, they'll be like, oh, we don't know how many people are going to be there. And I'm like, I don't care if it's one or if it's a thousand. As long as I can have that touch with somebody that I can make some kind of an impact with them, I'm good with that. Right. I'm totally good with that. You know, I've had people in uh, that have private messaged me over the years. Um, a quick trip story. Um, there was a, 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 a young person get, kind of getting, you know, just they weren't in a, you know, they just weren't feeling the best or whatever. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? And uh, it's, I'm kind of having a rough day, you know. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? He's like, oh. My cat's sick, and and you know I don't know what to do, and so on and so forth. And I'm like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason, you know. And I'm I'm sure if you have to make that ultimate decision, you know, your cat knows that you love it, and stuff like that, and whatnot. And this later on that evening, I get this message from this gal, and she's like, I know who you are, but you don't know me. She goes, and I didn't have a very good opinion of you, from what I've heard, and I saw how you interacted with the guy in front of you at Quick Trip today. And then just before you left, you turned around and said to me, hey, have a good day, which I do to anybody standing behind me. I mean, it's just my natural thing. You know, people are like, oh, you're so comfortable around people. And I'm like, no, I'm actually not. I, that's why I like try to break the ice because I don't like that awkwardness of being around a lot of people. And she goes, you know, I was having a crap day. And then you said, have a good day to a complete stranger. And you didn't even know that guy in front of you. And you just kind of like, like just had the conversation with them, you know, and I'm like, that's what this is about. Yeah. But to have someone tell you, a complete stranger tell you that you had an impact on, and to actually reach out and tell you is so empowering. Yes. And the other thing that I did, and I, I did a presentation last year at the University of Wisconsin Platteville, and they were expecting like 30 to 35 people. It was 85 degrees that day, sunny, beautiful. Yeah. It was 4.30 in the afternoon, and I'm like, no college kid in there, right? Mine is going to come listen to some old dude. Right. And we had to switch rooms twice. There was 175 oh. students that showed up. The number of them that came up afterwards and were like, you know, I've been actually contemplating. Like, I, 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 I feel like I'm a failure in school right now or, you know, this is going on and that's going on and, and, and so on and so forth. How do you measure that? You know, right. yeah, that's 
but I told them because of the because of the group that I was talking to. Yeah. I said one of the things that I do is that I randomly send out a Snapchat every day to twenty people. Right. Not the same people, but twenty people. I also send out text messages off and on to random people. Not the same people. And I also will be going through my friends list on Facebook and I'll be like, click, and I'll send, and what I do is I'll send out, you know, you're awesome, have a great day, or, you know, you're amazing and you're cool and people like you and you have value and stuff like that. The funny thing is the response I've gotten off of Snapchat, because I do that pretty consistently, on average, Aaron, is 12 people that will reply back and say, I needed to hear that today. And then the rest, you know, and then one will be like, oh, are we emotional today? Ha ha. I mean, we, there's a couple of us that we just, we joke with right, each other, right, you know. Right. But to have 12 people, which is over 50%, of, right. which is over 50%, 12 out of 20, almost daily say, I needed to hear that today. How many other people need to hear, just need to hear you're okay? Right. Or, hey, someone actually noticed you, or, you bring enough value that I'm just going to send – you got picked today to, to, to send a, a message to. And the great thing was is these kids picked up on it. And it was funny because all of a sudden I saw a couple cell phones sneak out. And they're probably doing the same thing. They realize yeah. how – not empty, but our society is so detached, I think, sometimes. that There's so many people who feel lonely and that they don't have connection and mm -hmm. just to hear that you have value that's mm -hmm. That's insane. And we yeah. hear enough negative stuff. Me I mean, too. you know, All people are like, why do we have so much bullying? Why do we have so much death by suicide? Why do we have so much depression? Why do Look at your Facebook pages. Look right. at social media in general. It's just nasty sometimes. Yep. You know, and people don't even know how to have a conversation anymore. Right. You know, and a lot of times when we have conversations, we listen to answer instead of listening just to listen. Yes. We listen to respond. I think that's a huge thing. Um, really actively listening to someone to understand, first of all, using empathy to listen to that person and they are going through something. Mm -hmm. Not just, like you said, preparing your answer when you're listening to someone. That's huge. Yeah, I, social media, I think I've read in a couple different articles that it increases depression and feelings of isolation. So yeah, to have it being used for a positive way, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is like, you know, I'll see somebody that will, you know, have something on Facebook and a lot of people call it vague posting, but it'll be like, um, oh, life yeah. sucks or this, you know, I and I will still, I will message them no matter if I'm close, close friends. I mean, I have like 3,600 followers on Facebook mm -hmm. and I'll message them and be like, Hey, you okay? Do you talk? Oh, I got in had a bad day at work or, or, you know, I screwed up with the wife or I, you know, I don't feel like I'm a good enough parent or whatever. Why do you feel that way? Right. You know, and then engaging them is really important. Well, yeah. And then at the end of the conversation, it's like, you know, Hey, thanks for just reaching out. And, and I do that because I, I truly believe in karma and I truly believe in like some kind of a spiritual aura that, that brings that back. Be right, and like the good, positive things you put out there. Right, and then yeah. it's funny, like, there'll be days where I'm having kind of a rough day, and just out of the blue, an old friend will text me and be like, hey, Ditz, how's it going? And I'm like, <laughs> It's funny you reached out. 
funny you reached out to me today, you know? And, it's, yeah. and, 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 and some of them will even say, they're like, oh, we, like, we felt that. Like, we felt something. Yeah. You know, call it crazy if you want. I don't care. I think it's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. But it's just, you know, and the other side of that is, Aaron, if they, they're they like, no, I'm fine. Everything's good, whatnot. You still made the effort. Yeah. Exactly. And that's to me. That's that in in a day where in an age day and age where we don't we hardly talk to people anymore. Right. You know, people look at you oddly if you go into Walmart or Kmart or well, I guess Kmart's not around anymore. Shopko, Quick Trip, a restaurant or whatever, and say, "Hey, how's it going?" Right. Like, people really do. Do I know you? Right. Well, no. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. You know. I mean, well, like if you wave at people mm-hmm. in, a, in a car. Passing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. worse than distracted driving in some cases. <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah, there is a lack of human connection for sure in our society. It's, I think people are get distracted by devices, social media, all those things, and kind of forget that having a conversation is way more meaningful than an hour on your phone mm-hmm. scanning through Facebook mm-hmm. or Instagram mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and it mentally helps you as well those real human connections yep. and then even like being a part of tugs or being a part of an association or optimist whatever those are really um strengthen your mental health as well mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so what besides tugs what's in your future are you um i thought i saw something that you were going to be working with the farm bureau on mental health and farmers yep um so i have uh, the ag lead summit uh, is coming up, um, which is kind of a leadership program and stuff. I'm actually a guest speaker there, and I'm talking about it's okay to not be okay. I just did a presentation for Corn Soy uh, Expo up in the Dells. Um, and then I've taken the bull by the horns, and I want to have a Farmer's Mental Health Day uh, with Farm Bureau. And it's not going to be just open to Farm Bureau members. It's going to be open to anybody. But it's going to be kind of twofold. Not only do I want farmers to come in, hear that other people are having the same water pipes freeze that they are but i also want to bring in the um the support professional side where like your veterinarians and your insurance salespeople and your tractor repair tractor repair people salespeople etc because in talking to them which i'm still pretty well connected for as many years that i was in the business is that their conversations right now aren't with the farmer on what do you want to, you know, this is what we're going to trade for, piece of equipment for piece of equipment. You know, they're going out and what used to be 25, 30-minute conversations are now three-hour conversations with this mm-hmm. farmer going, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't even know how I'm going to pay for the piece of equipment I bought from you two years ago. Right. And then that's twofold on that side of it because the support person that's out there is listening to the farmer's um, challenges but then has to go home at night and have their own challenges in regards to it because a lot of us that were in sales or commission-based, you know, so and if you don't meet quotas and you don't do this, you know, you don't get bonuses, you might get money taken away, you're, you know, and it's a vicious cycle on that side of it. So that's that's what I want to do. And I'm super excited. I'm super excited about that. But I'm also super excited because I got asked to do a comedy night. Um, I do some stand-up comedy, not that I just stand up and everybody starts laughing. That was a joke. Uh, but I, 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 one of the fundraisers we do here in Monroe is, is comedy night, and I really enjoy that. Well, District 9, which would be up by Menominee, uh, they asked me to come up and be their, their comedian for the night. And uh, I'm kind of looking, looking forward to that. But we're going to kind of mix some of the comedy also with 
the mental health side of it. Um, you know, and I use actually some of my own mental health challenges within my within my routine. And you know, and not that mental health is funny. But no. mental health is life, and life is funny. Right. And life is ironic, and life is worth living when you can see the, the better side of it. And then right. you can see that someone else is having this same challenge. Because not only do I have to deal with frozen water pipes as a farmer, and there's another farmer that has to deal with that, but I'm also dealing with mental health challenges, and that farmer's dealing with the exact same thing. Exactly. Or something close to it, or right. has a or has a worker that, you know, I I, I told um, at one of the trainings I gave to support staff, I mentioned I said if there's any insurance agents in here, if you have any of your farmer clients that are coming in and talking about suicide clauses and upping their life insurance and so on and so forth, you need to go have a candid conversation with them and you need to do that now. Right. And I got a phone call from an insurance agent three days later who said I went out and talked to four of my clients that had actually had that conversation with me and he said three of them were in the contemplating oh, stages wow. Wow. and that makes me scared because right. if yeah. how many others are out there are out there doing that you know and the thing with the agricultural community too Aaron is that there's you know yeah. there's some circumstances that need to be looked at you know so that's part of the reason that's why concerning. why I'm trying to get more of these trainings set yeah. up um, and if there's anybody out there listening you know if you've got an organization that you'd want me to help with you know and I have experts also that can come in and, and speak to it or whatever you know please please reach out and contact us because yeah, we're definitely. very very adamant about this and if you're a non-farmer out there and you're listening to this and you're having these same thoughts please please reach out to whoever you need to reach out to. You know, I don't want this just to be about agriculture because suicide doesn't care if you're black, white, redhead, blonde, right. Asian, Mexican, a farmer, poor, rich, exactly. young, old. It's yeah. a vicious disease. It is. It is. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. That was really powerful, and thank you for being so honest. And um, I actually have a couple of ideas for you. I'm on a mental health chips committee. Um, Chocolate? Chips. <laughs> I wish. Doritos? Just a group of people, Mineral um, Clinic, UW Extension, all getting together. Mm -hmm. like, how can we enrich the mental health capacity in Greene County? Um, so maybe that's something that you And I've actually be. seen some of the emails on that because yeah. I... Human services keeps me pretty well informed yeah. of what's going and on. Yeah, there's like a mental health summit yep. that yep. Southwest yep. Cap puts yep. on. So, yep. um, yeah, Rob Miles is the reason I'm still here. I mean, he was my he was my actual therapist that I respected and listened to and right. didn't feed me any bull crap and didn't tell me he knew what I was feeling right. um, and who was still out of Green County Human Services. Yep. And um, so he's gotten me pretty heavily okay. involved uh, with this, too. Um so yeah, I mean, I you know, I my my plate's kind of full right now, but it's it's good food. Yeah, it's it's definitely. good stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks again, and um, our Better Broadhead meetings. If you ever wanted to join, or anyone listening wants to join, is uh, the third Tuesday of the month at four five East Ninth Avenue at five p.m. And also check out our website betterbroadhead.org, and we're on Facebook. And Jeff. You're on Facebook as well, right? Personally, I am. Personally, we haven't we haven't released. Haven't, yep, okay. we haven't released the Tux Facebook page yet or okay. the website. Um, 
like I said, I want all the I's dotted right. into, but you know, there's resources out there uh, for the farmers listening. You know, I don't have a problem with people calling me. Um, I'm not a therapist by any means. Um, but um, there's also, you know, you can talk to your USDA office, FSA office, um, and I have a lot of respect for the gal, guys and gals out at uh, Green County Human Services. Uh, Haley Jordan is, is huge at the She's extension office amazing. and very, very well versed and, yes. and very knowledgeable on this stuff and is really making some, some headway on this. So, you know, she can get you in touch with some resources and stuff too. But the biggest thing is, is just reach out to somebody. And if you're that person that gets reached out to, take the time to listen. And listen to listen, don't listen to respond. And, you know, get, get everything out and then, add, you know, be there for that person. Be that tug. Yeah. Be that yeah. tug. Be that little ship for that big ship. Thank you for listening to another episode of Clear Thinking, brought to you by Better Broadhead. To stay up to date on the next episode, please follow us on iTunes. <laughs>